First, we, we expressed and we talked about Judas' kiss and what does it represent? Judas' kiss uh, was entangled with deceit, with betrayal. When we look at uh, Jacob's kiss, it's also entangled with betrayal, but also with lies and deception. Amen. And Jacob's kiss, uh, although it was deceitful, he almost got away with it. But in the end, this betrayal will always ultimately be exposed. And, and which caused Jacob to run and flee. And we all know the story of that that we heard last week. Today, we're going to speak about uh, another type of kiss. And let me just say this as, as an introduction. Kisses in the Bible were pretty much like a form of a contract. Nowadays, when you seal, when you buy a house, you fill out a paper, a document, you have to put your initial on every sheet, and in the end, you got to put that, that, that signature. It has to be notarized. It goes through this whole process. Well, guess what? In the times of the Bible, there were no documents. So people would literally seal deals with a kiss. It was a form of having a contract. It was a form of making a covenant. Even till today, when we get married, when we, even though we have to sign the license, but there's something about the kiss on a, on a wedding day that says it's sealed, it is done. And so kisses in the times of the Bible were, was a way of, of, of closing a business deal, of closing a contract, of closing a covenant between two people. And so with that in mind, the concept of a kiss, the concept of a contract, which is what Judas did. Judas gave, gave a kiss and that was the seal, the deal, the seal that broke the deal for him to betray the master. Jacob did the same thing. He kissed, he got, he kissed his father and his father kissed him. And that was what broke the deal between his relationship with Esau and Jacob. But today I want to read a story that is so powerful and transcending of how a father and a son experience a contract. They experience a kiss. And for that, I want you to go with me to the gospel according to St. Luke chapter 15. And we're going to read verses 11 through 24. And it starts off like this. And it says, Jesus continued. And before I continue with the parable, what is Jesus saying? When Jesus says, Jesus, when, the, when Luke says Jesus continued, what Luke is alluding to is the fact that Jesus had already had been speaking on two specific episodes or parables in connection to this third parable. So what are the two things that Jesus had spoken before this one? The first thing he talks about in, in chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, Jesus gives a parable or story of the lost sheep. And in this parable, the lost sheep tells us of a pastor, a shepherd, who had a hundred sheep, and one of his sheep got lost, went, ran astray, and the pastor, the shepherd, left the 99 sheep and he was out searching for that one that had gone away. And then in verses 18 through 10, 8 through 10 rather, Jesus gives another parable about the lost coin. And in this story, it's about a woman who had 10 coins. And having the 10 coins, the Bible says she lost one and her losing this one coin, she does three paramount things. The first thing she does is she turns on the lamp. She lights up the house. Second thing she does is she sweeps the house looking for the coin. And the last thing she does is she searches for the coin until she ultimately finds it. And when she finds the coin, she celebrates and she tells all of her neighbors how the coin was found. I want you to see it because we're talking about a kiss. But this is the undergird of that kiss. A lost sheep. A lost coin. 
And now look what the Bible says. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them both. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and he squandered his wealth in riotous or wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, the corn husk, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, number one, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death. He says, I will set out and go back to my father and I will say to my father three things. Number one, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Number two, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Number three, make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, 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 bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Why? For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. What a powerful Bible story as we seal the Judas Kiss series. The Bible is a book of promises. The Bible is a book of covenant. The Old Testament is one version of God's promises and God's testament, but then you have the New Testament. And what, what's, what's the undergird between the Old Testament and the New Testament is the word literally, the word testament. And what does testament means? What is the function of a testament? A testament is something that serves as a sign or as an evidence of a specific fact, event, or quality. A testament is literally a pact, it's literally a list of rules, a list of things that you have to comply in order to be a recipient of whatever. So if you want to buy, you know, if, if you want to buy a house, there's a list of things that you have to have before you get the house. If you want to make a, a, a seal a deal with somebody, that deal comes with a list of testaments, rules, things, uh, processes and procedures so that you can comply to that so that then that can become a testament. Now. When we look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament had one function. And what was the function of the Old Testament? The Old Testament would resume the law. The Old Testament dealt with systems and structures. The Old Testament dealt with do's and don'ts. That's why from the very beginning, when God gave the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel, He gave them ten rules of what to do, what not to do. When God told Moses to build him a tabernacle in the wilderness, God gave him a list of instructions of things to do and not to do. And if they didn't do what God called them to do in the tabernacle, guess what? God's presence wouldn't show up. So the testament, the rules, the regulations were paramount 
for God's purpose in mankind in the times of the Bible. But now when we go in Old Testament, but now when we go and look at the New Testament, the New Testament now resumes the grace. The New Testament resumes revelation because all of those rules in the Old Testament, the New Testament gives us the revelation of what exactly God was trying to tell us. So the New Testament resumes grace. It resumes revelation and it resumes hope. The Old Testament is important. You know why it's important? Because it was a shadow. It was a typology. It was a simile of what God was trying to teach us. So, so when I look at that in light of scripture, there's a verse that I want to share with you in the book of Psalms that, that, that helps me to paint the picture I'm trying to paint to you today. Because this is a prophetic verse in the Old Testament that deals with God's desire to reconcile the testament of the old with the testament of the new. The testament of rules with the testament of grace. The testament of law with the testament of revelation. The testament of judgment with the testament of forgiveness. And, and this verse, in my opinion, literally unites both testaments. It merges it, making them one to seal them into becoming what we call the full message of the Bible. And it's found in Psalm chapter 85 and verse 10, where it, where it says, look what it says. The psalmist said, love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Understand this. Righteousness is usually in a tough connotation. Righteousness is justice, is legal, is penalties, is punishment, is uh, in sanctions. It is, it is the do's and the don'ts. That's what righteousness means. Peace is love, forgive, second chance. And the Bible is, the psalmist is saying, this, this has never happened in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, if you break the law, you die. If you break the commandments, you die. If you fail, you die. But the psalmist says, there's gonna come a point where righteousness and peace are going to kiss. What is a kiss? A contract. What is a kiss? A unity. What is a kiss? You making a covenant. The time is going to come where righteousness and peace will seal a deal, will kiss. And that's why this this, this thing about the law versus the grace is so powerful because the law and the grace were, were kissed with each other through the life, the person, and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The law versus the grace. The law, listen to me, the law exists because of sin. Had there been no sin, there would be no law. And, what, and, and the reason why it gives us laws is because he, God through the Old Testament didn't want us to live a life of sin. Why? Because sin separated man from God. So the story of the prodigal son, and I want to share this with you all because when we look at the prodigal son, we, we, we always jump on the issue of this man's crisis and this man's sin. This story of the prodigal son, the, you know, the, the, the undergird of the story is not this man's sin because if it were for sin, we all fall short. If it was because of sin, none of us qualify. So the story of the prodigal son is not about his sins. No, it is about his lostness. The story of the prodigal son has nothing to do with his sin because we all sin. Everybody sins. Nobody's perfect. For all have sinned, Romans 3.23, and have come short to the glory of God. So if, if it was a matter of, of sinning, then, then none of us qualify. But this story is not about sin. This is about being lost. 
Because two things, you could, listen, you can have a million dollars, be a millionaire, and be lost in the street, and I know where you're at. And your millions can do nothing. This is not about sin. This is about lostness. And by the way, by the way, both the guy that left and the guy that's at home, both brothers, they were both lost. One just started walking away. One spent his, his wealth. The other one staying at the house. Listen to me. He was just as lost as the one who ran away. Because sometimes we feel that just because I'm still at the church and this guy's out there, listen, sometimes some of us in the house of the Lord were in the church, were coming to church, and we're just as lost as those that are out there. Now, granted, the fact that you're in, that's a blessing. But listen to me. One was lost in a distant country, and the other one was lost in the house. How do I know this? How do I know they were both lost? Well, because they both rebelled against their father. One said, give me my inheritance, I want to go. The other one, when he came back, he was upset at the father. The father celebrated his son. They both exhibited rebellion. The older son loved his house and loved the wealth and loved everything else that he would not, he was not willing to be happy for his father's decision. So this story represents two wayward sons who were not slaves. They were sons who decided to walk in contrary direction from the father, ultimately both being lost. But the story I want to talk about today is about the one that went far away. The one that went away. The Bible says that the prodigal son left into a far country. The far country in this story, I want to tell you that the far country in this story for me today is not measured by distance. And when I say this, I'm talking about geographical distance. It is not measured by distance, but it is measured by the distance from his father. Listen, the moment he told his father, I want to go and I want my money, that was not the moment that he became distant. He became distant before he asked. Before he, he already had rehearsing in mind. I want to leave. I want to leave. I want to go. I don't want to be here. I, he was already out of the house before he told his father. How many of us? How many of us? We're, we're in the house. We're serving the Lord, but everything is happening, and you just want to go another direction. And while you're still in, I'm here to tell you: don't let the enemy whisper exit in your ear. Be faithful to the house God has called you to, because once you walk out, listen to me. Once you walk out and you start looking at other green pastures, let me tell you. It's only a matter of time before you realize that what you have and what God has given you all along is where you belong and is what God is going to use to make a better version of you. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? But this guy, this guy said, no, 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 I want to get out of here. I want to leave. Not knowing that the far country was measured by his heart. Listen to me, wherever you are, listen to me, will be evidence by your relationship with God. Wherever you are not, in, whenever you're not in fellowship with God, listen to me, you are in a far country. Whenever you're not in connection with God, I'm here to tell you, you're, you're, you're in a distant country. Have you, been, have you been around people in the room that they're there, but they're not there? Hey, and, you, and, and then you'll be like, hey, hey, what did I just tell you? Oh, I'm sorry, I was, I was here, but I was somewhere else. There are people that even in this room right now, for whatever reason, call it COVID, 
Call it pressure. Call it stress. Call it crisis. You're in the house of the Lord, but you know that you're not where you used to be. You know you're not connected to the Father the way you used to be. You know that something happened in your walk that while you're still coming to church, in your mind, you're thinking, I just want to get out of here. I just want to leave. It's not the same. I, I want to be somewhere else. I want to do something else. And you're in the house, but you're not in the house. I'm here to tell you, you and I must be careful that when we make decisions, it is not because we're in the business of pleasing our ourselves and what makes us feel good but we're in the business of pleasing our father who has brought us to this place to the glory of the father listen to me and so he began to go through a downward spiral experience because he was there but he was not there and listen to the descriptive decrepit phrases of this prodigal son the first thing he says in verse 12 he says father give me how dare this son ask his father to give him something that he didn't even earn for he said give me the money give me my inheritance that's a disrespect he said give me number two second thing he says in verse 13 he gathered all that he had and he traveled away to a distant country the third thing the bible tells us in the verse 13 not only did he gather it but then he squandered it he spent it all and riotous living Fourth thing that happens in verse 14 is that he spent it all. He got, he became broke. Verse 14, the Bible says that a famine struck the land. Verse 14 says that he ended up with nothing. Verse 15 says that because him having nothing, he now had to look for a job and he had to look work. And the only work he found was working with pigs. Then it says that he longed to eat from his, from the food of the pigs. And then it says that no one will give him anything to eat. It is in that statement, it is in that crisis, it is in that dynamic that this man found himself right in the middle of a crossroad in his life. I'm here to tell you, I don't know, I don't know what step you are in one of these seven. I don't know if you already asked God and demanded God to do things. I don't know if you're already uh, living a frivolous life. I don't know if you're already walking away from the church. I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you're so deep in sin and so deep in the pigs and so deep in the corn husk that you can find a way out. But I'm here to tell you, wherever you're at right now, it's your crossroad for you to make a decision. The decision you're going to make today, the choices you're gonna make after this sermon will determine whether you're gonna stay with the pigs, whether you're gonna stay with the swine, or is God going to use this moment as a catalyst to shift you back and becoming the person God has called you to be. This man was at a crossroad. Do I continue to live in disobedience? Do I continue to stay with the pigs? Do I continue to live my life my way? Or am I willing to come to the acknowledgement that something has to change in my life? here he's at the crossroad between righteousness and peace righteousness tells him you're a sinner righteousness tells him you broke the rules righteousness tells him you're no good righteousness tells him you deserve to die but then he peace he knows his father loves him listen to me listen you know what's crazy about the story that in the story judgment could have controlled this man's life. But somewhere, some kind of way, as he was thinking of his father, the thoughts of his father was not thoughts of judgment. The thoughts of his father was not thoughts of castigating him. Some kind of way, he must have had thoughts of his father loving him to the point that he's at a crossroad in his life and he says, I'm coming back home. 
I'm coming. If I listen, if I have a father that's gonna, that abuses me and beats me, and I leave the house, I'm not gonna ever think coming back home because I don't want to get beaten. I don't want to get abused. But something in this young man's life, he knew something about his father, and what he knew about his father was his father loved him. His father had nothing but love and forgiveness. He says, in spite of my condition, in this crossroad in my life, I'm going. Look what the Bible says. Verse 17, it says, when he came to his senses, this is what many of us got to do. You got to come back to your senses. You can't stop living life by your feelings. You got to live life when, by your senses. He came to his senses and he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. He says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to my father, father, I have sinned against heaven against you I am no longer worthy to be called your son make me like one of your hired servants listen to me church the crossroad appeared in this man's life on his way back home that verse of Psalms 85 began to activate in this man's life where it says love and faithfulness peace and righteousness kissed each other but to experience this crossroad to experience the kiss you have to have a change of mind. You must come to yourself. This is the problem with Judas. Judas betrayed the Lord. The prodigal son betrayed his father. Like Judas betrayed Jesus. He betrayed the Lord. The problem with Judas was that after his betrayal, he never came to his senses. After his betrayal, he never had a change of mind. He let the thoughts of betrayal lead him to a tree and hang himself and take his life away. Judas as well. I'm sorry, Jacob as well. Jacob betrayed. He betrayed his brother. He deceived his father. He stole the birthright. But what Jacob did at one point in his life, he said, I got to get things right. And I'm going to come back to my brother. And the Bible says he came back with his, with his women and with his children. And they put this kid before, before Esau. And he apologized. And he humbled himself. The problem with Judas is that Judas did not allow God to change his mind. Because he was living about how he felt. I'm here to tell you, church, you are in the crossroad of the biggest decision you're about to make. But it's going to require you to change your your mind so that God can do the work in your life, church. So what did the prodigal son do? He went through an analytical process. Second thing he did, listen to me. Second thing he did, the Bible says in verse 20, so he got up and he went to his father. Listen, thinking about getting right is not enough. Thinking about, I'm not going to do that, that's not enough. There's got to come a point where you got to get up out of the pig's world. You got to get up from the corn husk. You got to get up from the slave mentality. And you just can't think I'm going to get up. You got to get up. He got up. So I ask you today, are you willing to get up? What's keeping you in the pig pen? What's keeping you? Surrounded with, with the dirt and the stench and the animals and the filth and the sin. What's keeping you? Get up today in Jesus' name. The Bible says, verse 20, so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. Uh, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and here comes that kiss of psalms 85 10 and he kissed them he kissed them now this kiss did not happen 
had not the son ran back to the go back to the father. Had the son stood with the swine, they would have never had this kiss. They would have never had this seal. They would have never had this covenant. You got to run back to the father. You got to come back to God. You got to come back to your senses. You got to get back involved in the church. You got to say, I'm going to do this again. I don't care what people are saying. I don't care what people are doing. I don't care what I've heard. I'm going to come back home and I'm going to do what God called me to do because the Bible says in James chapter 4 and verse 8, he says, come near to God. And what happens? And God will come near to you if you take a step, church. If you take a step. If you change your mind, if you say I will get up and go to my father's house, if you say I will get up and start all over again, God will take a step for you. So what happened when this man returned back to the father? What happens when you return back to the father? Look what the Bible says. First thing that happened is the father saw him from a distance. I'm here to tell you, the father sees you. He sees that moment when you say, when you say I can't be like this no more. He sees that. That moment when you say, I'm, I, I got to get out of this mess. He sees that. That moment, listen, the moment the father saw the son at a distance, the son didn't have anything to say. The father interpreted him coming back home to reconciliation, to him being sorry, to him being remorseful, and he was able to interpret him coming back. Repentance. I'm here to tell you, the father sees you. The Bible says that not only did the father saw him, the father was filled with compassion. I'm here to tell you, church, that the father's compassion is greater than all of your faults. That the father's compassion is greater than all of your mistakes. And the other thing the Bible says that the father did is the father ran towards him. Remember, Jesus is saying this parable. And he's saying this parable to Jewish people in the Jewish culture. This would never happen in the times of the Bible. No father would run to his son. It was a form of disrespect. No father would run to his children. Children would run to their fathers. Listen to me. So this gesture that we hear that Jesus is giving, this description is unorthodox. It is rather insulting and disrespectful to the paternal Jewish figure. And as Jesus is saying that the father ran to the son, the audience is like, what? No way in the world. They're bothered with this phrase because it's a disrespect. After he took your money, after he spent it all, after he went with the pigs, unclean animals, you're going to come and run to him? Look what the Bible says. Not only did he run to his father, to his son, the Bible says he embraced him. Despite the son's stench, Despite his decrepit state, despite the misuse of his father's wealth, the father ran to him and embraced him. And then the Bible says that the father kissed him. He kissed the prodigal son. And this kiss, this kiss changed the course of this man's life. This kiss changed the tone of the story. This kiss changed, flipped the script. Because listen to me, a true kiss cancels all debts. A true covenant, a true kiss. <laughs> the prodigal son, when he received this kiss, something happened in this man's life. But remember, remember, while he was still with the pigs, he said, I'm going to tell my father three things. Three things. Look what he says. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, 
He said, how many of my father hired servants have food to spare and I'm here starving to death? He says, I will set up to go back to my father's house and I will tell him these three things. Number one, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. That was the first thing he was going to say. Father, I sinned. Second thing, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Third thing he says, make me one of your slaves. And look at what happens. Because this is what the son planned to say. Three things. But look at what, what exactly the son said. Look what it says. The son said to him, verse 21, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. He said he was going to say it. He said it. Number two, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He said it. He said he was going to do it. He did it. But look at verse 22. Notice how the father interrupted him. It says, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandal on his feet, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feet. Notice he said two out of three. The father didn't let him finish saying the last phrase, which was, make me one of your servants. Listen to me, church. When you decide to come back to God, when you decide to commit yourself to the Lord. When you decide, listen, the son, the father will never let you finish that phrase of slave because God don't call us to be slaves. God doesn't call us to be servants. He never let his son talk about being a servant. He never let his son say, I am not worthy of being a son. I'm sorry, make me one of your servants. He never let the son mention that phrase. But rather, the Bible said that the father stopped quickly. He stopped them quickly. As if to say, while he's still talking, the father interrupted and said, hey, let's plan the party. Get the fatted calf. Uh, let's get the saber ready. Go get the china. Go get the silver. He starts planning while his son has the words in his mouth. The father refused to let him continue speaking about being a slave. Why? Because he had a plan. The moment he saw him from a distance, he had a plan in his mind. Because God works quickly towards those who have a repented heart. So I want to close today with this scripture in Psalms 103 verses 18 through 17. Look what the Bible says. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor he will harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Thank God for the kiss. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we're dust. Oh, God. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower in the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's so Judas's kiss, first week, was a kiss of betrayal. Jacob's kiss was a kiss of deception. But the father's kiss 
to his son was a kiss of forgiveness and restoration, where righteousness and peace kissed, where judgment and grace came about, where the Old Testament and the New Testament, the law and the grace came to each other. And so God wants to seal a deal with us today. Just like when husbands and wives get married, they seal the wedding day with a kiss, God wants to kiss you. He wants to seal this deal. Let him kiss you today. So all he's asking you today is come back home. Have a change of heart. Get out of that mess. Return to the Father. And he's going to put some sandals on your feet, change your path, put a ring on your finger, give you authority, because rings in the Bible represented the authority. It had the, the ring, the ring of the father had the logo of the name of the father. And whenever they would sign a contract, they would put this, the ring on clay and seal it. So it meant authority. And then put on a robe, which meant, which meant identity. You're part of the house again. Because in the times of the Bible, when, when people had servants and slaves and sons and daughters, they were able to decipher who was who by what they wore. Servants had different clothing. But the father says, put on a robe, the robe of a son. Give him back his identity. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to do it with you. He wants to do it for you. So may we not be like Judas. May we not be like Jacob. May we be like the son who went wayward and allowed to kiss his father. So today I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you today. If you don't have Jesus in your heart, they're gonna make an altar call and you're gonna respond and you're gonna give your life to Jesus. But if you are saved and you're part of the church, here's my assignment for you. My assignment for you is let righteousness and truth kiss each other. Come back home. Give the best version of your life. And I promise that God will get the glory out of your life. God bless you. God keep you.